Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard and I'm your host. Uh, if you haven't heard this podcast before, this podcast is about film recommendations and speaking to filmmakers and actors about what they're up to now and their past filmography and what they've been up to since then. I'm really honoured to be speaking to uh, a great, great actor, uh, one you may know from his films from the 90s, uh, the Free Willy films and also one of my favourites, Never Ending Story 3. It's Jason James Richter. Hey, Jason. <laughs> hey, Jed. Thank you so much for having me on the program. I, I appreciate you having me. It also happens to be the 25th anniversary of Free Willy, I think, coming out in theaters it or is. something. I keep getting uh, tweeted about it today. I'm like, oh. Yeah, it is. That's pretty cool. Oh, so, so I guess as you brought it up, you might as well start off a little bit about Free Willy, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I was uh, I was a little boy from Free Willy, and... Uh, <laughs> I um, kind of, you know, just got my start. Uh, I just, you know, was a kid with, you know, wanted to do it, thought I could do it, and, you know, kind of begging my mom, and she uh, she kind of talked me out of it, actually, at first. Really? And then, uh, yeah, she actually sat me down, she put out a calendar, and she said, okay, if you come back to me in six months to this day, if you if you want to do this, then, you know, we'll, we'll try to make something happen. So six months of the day, I come back, and I'm like, no, oh, I want to be an actor, and, so I started going out on uh, what used to be called cattle calls, which was like anybody could show up. And uh, I remember going to a dirt lot in uh, Culver City, California, and there was a trailer on that lot, and they were having auditions for a movie called Free Willy. And I was just one of, you know, a few hundred kids that walked in that day. And How old uh, were you at the time? What, what age were you? Uh, I was about 11 years old, wow. about 10, 11 years old. Yeah, and I just happened to get the part. Did, did like, you... I, pretty lucky did you have to run through lines that um from the film or did you did they make you kind of read uh, a script from a similar film yeah you know i don't know if i actually read lines from the movie that day or not i i, I it's been a long time obviously I'm like, yeah. I mean, a little fuzzy, but i and it may have been just you know just scene or something to, you know to, can you do a scene it may have been from the movie I, I i don't recall but um but it was just like an audition you just go in and you you know and it, audition for a casting person, get on camera, and they're like, okay, you're number 3,898, we'll call you. <laughs> and like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> you just leave and you think, oh, this is possible. <laughs> and it's obviously, you know? it's obviously changed your, your life and um, your, your childhood, childhood became something um, that you kind of shared with, with the entire world. Um, how did it feel to, to kind of be so famous and your face so recognizable at such a young age? You know, when you're that age, um, I don't think it really. It, uh, I don't. I don't know if you're if you're fully conscious of how what what fame is or how famous you may or may not be. I mean, for me, I had a pretty stable childhood. You know, I I, I went to school. I you know when I wasn't acting or working, and um, you know my my parents did a pretty good job of just kind of keeping things as normal as possible. So you're not really. I mean, I, I mean, I was aware that you know it was quote unquote a famous person or somebody that was known, but um, my 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 day to day existence wasn't wasn't necessarily dominated by it. It seems like now with social media and stuff, you know, if you're famous, you're just that's what you are, yeah. and all consuming all all thing that you're just that's what you are. So yeah. uh, and repetitive, but yeah, I, you know, it's um, I, I mean, I was aware of it on some level, of course, and I mean, I, obviously, you know. I did a lot of, 
you know, make a wish foundation stuff and always met with kids and, and did a lot of stuff. And I think that honestly, for me as a kid was the best part yeah. of it was being able to like meet people and have that shared thing. And, you know, it's, 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 that's kind of the cool part of being famous, you know, that's that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, as it is the 25th anniversary, it kind of coincides. I was just reading an article recently about um, about SeaWorld, and for the first time in a long time, it's actually made starting to make profit. Its shares are up 30% this year, um, and it's weird. It kind of coincides with the 25th anniversary of uh, Free Willy. Do you, do you think um, films like Free Willy and obviously um, the kind of blackfish type films um, that kind of exposes the darker side of the whale tourism industry um how, how do you think f- films like free willy have kind of affected the public perception of whales and uh, do you think it has at all um i don't know it may you know very well have i think it probably did on some level uh bring an awareness to these kinds of issues but i think that the work of things like you know greenpeace and uh PETA um, other groups have done a lot. That that documentary you just mentioned, Blackfish, has been very effective in informing yeah. the public on um, what it is, and they should decide for themselves if this is something that they feel is acceptable or not. But I definitely think the film um, <clears throat> made the subject probably approachable. I know that there were films previous to Free Willy, like Orca from like 1975, That's that right. demonized yeah. uh, whales. And so, you know, this term killer whale and the whole idea, you know, people were really like afraid. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, same thing with like great white sharks. Like, you know, you hear the word shark and people kind of, oh my goodness, but, you know, you have a far better chance of being hit by lightning than attacked by a shark. You know what I mean? Like, you, you get on irrational fears. So I think Free Willy may have helped soften the image, but I think that the subsequent groups and work that has been done by lots of marine biologists and professionals and people, they have really been the most effective voices. You know what I mean? Yeah, those, I are, those are the people that are on the ground doing the, doing the hard work. So. And did you ever feel a kind of affinity towards um, uh, the ocean and, and wells? Uh, did you ever think you would kind of go in that direction um, instead of acting? Or was it literally just a job? Um, I've always lived near the ocean. My father was in the Navy. So oh. I grew up, you know, kind of around the water. I've always lived near water. I love the ocean. Um, I did scuba for a little while when I was younger. I don't really anymore. I just don't have time for it. It's like, you know, one of those things I just, when, the older you get, the faster your life goes. And you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. And you just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's been a while. But, uh, yeah, I've grown up near the ocean my entire life. I mean, I, I lived in Hawaii when I was a kid. And my dad was in the Navy and, you know, Florida and San Diego and all over. So. And was it, I think I read in, in Hawaii, that's where you kind of got scouted to be... Um to, to be an actor, a child actor, is that correct? Yeah, I don't know how that story got started. It never happened. I, I don't know. <laughs> really? It's on Wikipedia. I was like, no, that's, I don't know what that, I don't, I've heard, you know, um, I think Japanese commercials or something, and that's yeah. just not true. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they're, I mean, maybe the internet will dig it up. I have no idea, but I don't recall that ever being a thing. I mean, um, previous to, um, Previous to Free Willy, the only thing I got was a small local television commercial for a uh, channel or a cable, uh, KTTV. Okay. It was a, like a local commercial that was producing a, a faux uh, commercial for a Milton Bradley product. It was like a board game called Wall Street. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, I, they actually put me in a little tie and a little suit and slicked my hair back, and my hair was kind of like golden colored. I looked like a little, dare I say his name. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, and it was for a game called like Wall Street. And it was supposed wow. to be like some hotshot millionaire mogul or something. Anyway, the, uh, okay. yeah. the I think, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't think the Milton Bradley subsequently made the board game. I don't think it was a successor, and so I don't think the commercial was ever printed. But that's the only thing I remember. I didn't do anything when I, you know, I don't. Yeah, my mom was an actress. She, oh, she did uh, background yeah. work and had some small speaking roles on like Magnum PI. Wow. That's impressive. So you sit um, in the family runs. Was it her kind of vision to kind of um, to to kind of let, make you join her on this journey through through uh, cinema? I guess was it her that kind of forced you? No, I mean, I really you know we, I grew up in a house where movies were a big deal. You know, we all we all loved the movie night was a big deal in my house, and when there was VHS stores, we used to go and we'd get a VHS tape and you know, pop it in the machine. It was like a big deal in my house and the drive-in was a big deal. So movies were kind of, you know, I guess the family bonded that way. And so my mom kind of put down acting at one point and I just remember telling her, well, I want to try, you know, and (laughs) I want to, I want to give this a shot. So she does I don't know. What was it you like know. the first time you saw yourself when Freebody had come out and the first, what was, um, I'm assuming you went to the, to the premiere. What was it like seeing yourself on the big screen for the first time in such a magnificent kind of epic movie? Very uncomfortable for me. Really? I don't like looking at myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't like taking pictures. I don't actually really, I don't like looking at myself in a mirror. I don't watch a lot of, you know, I'll look at, I'll look at clips of things, performance stuff for for notes and things, but I, mm-hmm. I rarely will sit there and watch anything. So, a little uncomfortable, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so. Well, that's a shame. Well, you, you did two more uh, Free Willy movies, obviously, um, and obviously the, the Free Willy franchise is beloved to, to many, but you were also in another beloved franchise, especially to, to myself. You were in the third installment of the Never Ending Story trilogy, um, and to, that's a real, real guilty pleasure for me. Never ended story three for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, most people kind of would, would point towards the first never ending story as, as the kind of pinnacle and it probably is. Um, but the third one has a lot going for it. Um, not only is yourself in it as Bastion, Bastion Bucks, Bartholomew Bucks, <laughs> but Jack Black is your antagonist in it. Um, in one of his early one of the nasties, that's the right. Nasties. Um, what was your experience yeah. on that? Were you, were you a fan of Never Ending Story 1 and 2 before going into this? Um, I, like you, pretty much, you know, I really, really loved the first one. I grew up with it. It was, you know, a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, you know, struggled. And I, and I personally, yeah. my personal opinion, struggled. And I think the third one that I'm in is not a terribly great film. So I'm <laughs> glad that you like it. I do like um, it. <laughs> and I don't mean to be disparaging to the movie or the franchise, because I do love the story. Mm-hmm. And it was an honor to play Bash, uh, Sebastian and get to to be a part of the never-ending story. And it's funny because I really don't ever talk about that much. And and, um, when I was talking about doing this this interview, Mm -hmm. um, my lady mentioned that uh, you 
were a fan of the movie, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want, what do you like about it? What, what do you oh, like? Okay, about it? so I, I love I, I love the fact it kind of spins the kind of mythos of the Neverend story on its head. It, it brings the Neverend story into the real world. I know in in the first one, Falcor is actually in the real world, but in this one, you see all the characters that you know and love. Well, some of the ones you know and love have come out of the the story and are in on Earth and interacting with people on Earth. You've got the little gnomes inside the kind of package in the in the FedEx package. Um, you've got Falcor like walking down the street in the middle of a parade. Um, you've got the rock creatures hanging out in your garden. It's 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 just I don't know. You really love this movie. Oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> you make valid points. You make totally valid points. Yeah. I, 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 you know, maybe I'll have to sit down and watch it sometime. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll do that someday. I don't know. It was fun to make though. I made a lot of great friends on it. There were a yeah. tremendous amount of incredible human beings I got to work with. Like you mentioned, Jack Black. Yeah. Um, he was amazing. Ryan was also one of the nasties, and yeah. so was a, a very, a very talented uh, actor, uh, Patrick Adrian Dorvel. Okay. Uh, Caroline. Oh god, there's so many names I can't remember. But there's like just an incredible cast of human beings. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was, we shot in uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. and we shot in uh, Berlin, yeah. Germany, yeah. and uh, both places were absolutely stunning, beautiful, gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, crews were great. I mean, it was it was a fun experience. It was. I mean, at that time, it was the early '90s. We were in Germany right after the wall had fallen, wow. and so there was a lot of history happening in West, you know, between West uh, Berlin and East Berlin, mm-hmm. and the reunion. It was a, it was a couple years, you know, fresh. So, getting to be in Berlin in Germany at that time. Um, was a really special time and uh, to be making a film there was a very special thing as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the, the experience of making the film and I am kind of bummed about how it all turned out because they had a fantastic, you know, they had a fantastic budget yeah. and, and as you pointed out, you know, they had a, a really ambitious idea yeah. and, you know, I think they may revamp the never ending story uh, series, and uh, I really hope they do, you know, because it is a timeless story. It's it's a great story, and especially with modern, uh, you know, effects now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you could ever outdo the first one because I'm like you. I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, to me, that's the that's the one. It's really perfect. But yeah, it is time for a great remake, don't you think? Like, I think so. Um, it would be hard again, like you said, the first one's so perfect. So it it might have to be more of a kind of a a reimagining, uh, or maybe even a sequel. I, I don't know. It's hard to touch the first one. Um, like a modern retelling. Yeah. Like a modern retelling. That would be, right? Because then you can leave the, the, the classic one. Yeah. And you can just let it be itself and then just say, hey, this is a new take. Because you know? the interesting but, take... But we're not going to try to compete with the original. Yeah. Because <laughs> the interesting take on it, like I assume like um, a lot of people now don't really read books or it's on a Kindle or it's electronic books. So maybe uh, the Neverland story is hidden away in the, in the, in the back of somewhere. Uh, all the bookshops have closed down and um, the, the Neverland story is even more hidden and there's even less chance of a, a child discovering it. So maybe Fantasia is completely barren and the nothing or the nasties of one and there's only one, one kind of creature left and Bastion has to go in. I don't know. But... I think I think it would be an interesting film. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 rife for um, you know to 
there's so much there. I mean, yes. but speaking of bookstores, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was mentioning among several amazing things that he was at a Barnes and Noble, and it like struck me still. I was like, "There's a Barnes and Noble word? <laughs> you read it? There's books in there? Can I come by?" <laughs> <laughs> there's a few left in London. I was like, Not "Wow." <laughs> Really? Um, yeah, I guess it's happening all over the world, right? That's yeah, kind of yeah. The nothing. We're losing uh, the books, the written word. Yeah, the nothing's winning. We need to. We need to Bastion's help to kind of reverse this trend. Um, it, see, it's very metaphorical. You make a very valid point. It would be good to make exactly. now. Um, and uh, before I get onto it, you knew stuff. There was one other uh, kind of film you were in around that time. That's very very interesting um i just watched the trailer for it it's uh, laser hawk starring yourself and mark hamill now i watched the trailer i'm not sure what's going quite what's going on but i'm interested <laughs> what's what's the deal with laser hawk um can you remember working on that one <laughs> directed by uh mr jean pelleron uh <laughs> Shot, we shot in Quebec. Okay. Uh, it's a sci-fi film. And um, art is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You, you just have to watch it, Jed, okay. and tell me what you think. And I apologize if it's a waste of your time. Oh, no, no. The, the whole thing's on and YouTube. It very well so might I, be. <laughs> I, I, I am going to watch it. It, I have, it looks crazy. But it kind of looks like Flight of the Navigator, but like 10 years later. Uh, with probably a little bit worse special effects than it, than it was in the 80s. Well, I'm uh, doing a podcast now, and I think we're going to do uh, an MST 3000-style thing, and we might wow. use laser hot and just re the entire dialogue. And so, That's so uh, cool. we'll eventually do that. Yeah, we're going to do that, I think, and uh, we'll have that up for the, for the people to check out if they want. Because <laughs> yeah. it is, it's a, it's a... It's a time castle for sure. <laughs> how, how was it working with Mark Hamill? I mean, you obviously had interaction with him in the oh, film. fantastic. Yeah. Mr. Hamill is a great actor, and, you know, incredibly talented man, mm -hmm. and uh, he was he was really great to work with. I mean, he, he was, um, so like, the 90s, you know, and sometimes that was a struggle for him, but he was a total pro. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, people know him and our fans, can they know his story? So they kind of know what era I'm talking about. Yeah. And, um, it, it, but he, I mean, if you look at that, his career, he's an incredibly talented man. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, and uh, persevered under a lot. And, you know, voiceover, and he's been, you know, beloved characters of, I mean, this, to anybody be so lucky to have his career. But anyway, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, when I met him, I was totally taken aback by him. I mean, it was Luke Skywalker, and it was it was the Joker at that point. It was yeah. like all these people, and uh, um, he he was incredibly humble, and he, he was a lot of fun to work with. And uh, Gordon Corey was in the film. Melissa, uh, I can never pronounce her last name. Uh, Galianos. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Melissa Galianos was in the film. It was a great cast. And uh, it was a lot of fun to make. The director was a night owl and uh, got creative at night. <laughs> and so we shot for like six weeks of nights. It was like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Okay. I remember that. The schedule was a grind. It was, it was a crazy grind. <laughs> Back in the 90s, in the late movies on camera films. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned your podcast. You mentioned your podcast. What, what's, I haven't had a chance to listen to your podcast yet, but um, is your podcast film-based? Um, no, it's kind of um, slice of life stuff. Uh, okay. Weird news. 
kind of light on the politics. I don't really go into the whole mess of the mess. So we yeah. just kind of do sort of, we talk about movies, talk about sports, we talk about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Kind of, um, I sort of described it as an everyman show. It's okay. just, you know, it's perspective, humor. Um, my co-host, uh, Dustin Burford, and I um, sort of are calling it the Richter scale for now, but we, we're sort of having fun doing this, actually. Really enjoying it. That's and a great for, name, uh, it's a great, oh, great name for a podcast. Yeah, I think I'm not, I don't know if I'm a fan of it. I think it's a little bit on the nose. It's kind of a little bit ridiculous, but <laughs> everybody seems to think it's a great name. So I'm like, oh, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's fun, and um, you know we're, we're, we're working with uh, Brigade Radio One, uh, and if people want to check it out, then go to BrigadeRadio One dot org slash shows slash The Richter Scale. And they can uh, hear Dustin and I go on about a lot of stuff. And recently, it's been a lot about golf because we're getting ready for the British Open. We're excited. Ah, about okay. That. Ah. Yeah. And, and if they wanted to subscribe <laughs> on um, iTunes, they could do that too, right? The Richter scale. Um, we're working on that. Okay. We're actually working on uh, testing that at the moment. But at, mm-hmm. at the moment, the site is the only place to get it. So if okay. you are really curious, you have to do a little bit of work, but it might be worth your time. Okay. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not really a golf fan, so the British Open is a little bit lost on me. Um, I'm more into football or soccer, as you guys call it, um, and uh, tennis. I'm like a late in life to the golf thing. I, yeah. I I did not get it. I hated it when I was a kid. It was just, you know stupid sport. The older <laughs> I get, I, it's happening. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to get up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and go to a golf course. I, I don't know what's going on. I think it's my age or something. Jen, I'm, <laughs> they're sucking me in. The normies are kidding me. <laughs> it just seems so <laughs> slow paced. I don't know. I'm becoming an old man. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so slow paced, but maybe you can listen to podcasts and music while 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 you're uh, you golfing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had a period between uh, maybe like a five year period where you weren't in many films. Um, what what were you doing during that period? I was playing music a lot. Um, okay. Was working on scripts, playing music. Uh, yeah, I was touring in a band. I did a bunch of, God, I did a couple bunch of tours. Went all over the country. In a in a first in a bus, then in a nicer bus, and then actually in kind of a nicer, bigger, luxuriously more nicer. That's not a word. <laughs> RV. <laughs> like, you know, we kept, we kept getting better and better tours and better and better gigs. Yeah. And we were building up to something. And then uh, we did, I did that up until about 2006, 2007. And, and then you still very young at that point. Started, yeah, I was still, you know, I was still a kid and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I uh, then started back um, working on films, but I just, I went back to it and just was like, you know what, I'm going to be a PA. Mm-hmm. Just work on the other side, and um, I did a lot of assisting and TA work, and uh, you know this position, that position, just kind of learning the business from the other side and approaching it in a different way and thinking about it in a different way, and eventually worked my way up to uh, producing a film called Last Rampage, which is yeah. on Netflix. But I still act, and I still really enjoy acting, and it's my first love. But I actually, I really enjoy producing now. It's a, it's very rewarding. So let's talk about Last Rampage. So you you produced, um, did you produce that and you starred in it, right? As the, because I watched the uh, trailer for it and you're the like the sheriff in it or something. Uh, yeah, it's a great cast. We got uh, Robert Patrick, wow, uh, Heather Graham, Bruce Davison, John Hurd, 
uh, Chris Browning. Oh my goodness, a ton of people. So it's, it's really a hell of a cast. All of, all of our boys. Um, um, I'm sorry, there's so many names. Uh, Casey yeah, no, Thomas Brown. On IMDb, there is there was uh, uh, Casey Thomas Brown, Chris Browning, William Shockley, Alex Nichol, yeah, Sky Moore, Molly Quinn. Uh, Molly Quinn's in it. Yeah, I. Uh, She's, yeah, she's great in the film. I mean, we have a tremendous cast. It's a really great cast. I had a, you know, I took a small part in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had that material, been developing it since uh, like the late 90s. It came to be actually because of Laserhawk, uh, a guy <laughs> named Eric Moye, who is, a, uh, who is now a, uh, a camera operator who at the time was a, sc- a screenwriter. He actually brought me this book called The Last Rampage by James Clark. Mm-hmm. And it was about this father who had manipulated his three very young sons into breaking him out of jail in the late 1970s in Arizona. And from a very young age, I, I, I was fascinated and I guess mainly disturbed by the story. Just yeah. for, you know, just I, I couldn't believe how terrible, like, you know, father could do that to his children. This really happened. And, uh, this really happened in, in, in America. Yeah, and, and it was it was a tragedy. It was in the late 1970s. Um, a guy named Gary Tyson was locked up from doing life, and uh, and had a wife, you know, from behind bars kind of thing, and managed to raise three three boys. And by the time they were 18, 19, 20 years old, um, you know, they they had just had, they had come to believe their father was just this saint. You know, he could do no wrong. He was being wronged by the state. You know, he was an innocent man locked up. You know, this was, you know, they were, they're like, quote unquote, doing the Lord's work by bringing, breaking their innocent father out of jail. So they did, you know, they believed it and they broke him out of jail. Mm. And um, they went on a, uh, on the run and they, a lot of terrible things subsequently happened. And then one of the sons was uh, killed in a shootout with the police. The other two were arrested and uh, Gary was found dead out in the middle of the desert days later. Wow, uh, and it was just a, a really tragic story, and it was kind of a blip. It was major news at the time, mm-hmm. like you know, it was, it was the biggest manhunt in the United States at the time, trying to find these people. And they they also broke out of prison with another prisoner named Randy Greenwald, who was subsequently executed by the state in the late nineties, I believe. Wow, okay. Uh, he was a serial killer that was attached to other murders, but he just took off with the Tyson gang when this all happened, and. uh but they caught him as well. So, but um, when this happened, it was the biggest manhunt in the United States, and it, it was it was big news. And then it just kind of just kind of went away. And um, I had this book, and you know, James Clark, the guy that wrote the Last Rampage, uh, was almost a victim himself of the Tyson gang. Wow! So he wrote wow. the book about the crimes, about what happened, and the book is kind of if you want to know the. The, the quintessential story, what what it was, that's sort of the book to go to on it. And um, so I've been trying to develop a script out of the book for a lot of years and eventually got a draft that I thought was, you know, good to go. And I, I got Dwight Little involved and um, we ended up making a movie. It's great. So, like, you had that book when you were a, t- a teenager, and all these years later, you you've you finally got it together. How was it? Was it a matter of um, um, raising the money to, to make this, or did 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 you get to the point where you, you didn't think this would happen, or did you always know that you wanted to make this story? 
Well, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't sure if it would ever happen or not. It was just something that I kept kind of pushing ball on every so often, you know, while working on other things. It was like, well, what is happening with that story? And just kind of keep going with it over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, I never wasn't sure if I'd ever, you know, we was we were independently, you know, financed home, and mm-hmm. we uh, I wasn't sure if we were ever going to make it, but we did. So you know, from 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 getting a draft uh, of a script that I was truly, you know, happy about was about two years, you know, to get it from that to to complete it. Yeah. But it was a lot of years of just working on that, you know, story and just sort of coming back to it, thinking about it. And then also, you know, it's, you think you have to consider making something like this because it is based on a true story and just you want to be sensitive to people. And uh, so you know, there's a lot to consider, especially yeah. with like the true crime thing in general. And it was directed uh, by Dwight H. Little as well, who who is probably best known for for his TV work. Um, he's he's pretty much done every single TV show you can think of. Uh, I can see he's done Prison Break, oh, yeah. Dollhouse. He's done Twenty Four, uh, The Practice, X Files, um, Bones, which you were also on uh, from Dust Till Dawn, the series, Sleepy Hollow, Agents of Shield. This guy's prolific. This guy is very prolific. Um, Every show, yeah. yeah. He directed Halloween 4. He did, did March he? for Death. He did Rapid Fire. Wow. Um, uh, Murder at 1600, people know him for that one. Um, Free yeah. Willy 2, of course. Yeah, he directed Free Willy 2. That's how I met him. <laughs> wow. So um, was it because of him that you got onto Bones? Um, and like. Uh, in 2009 was it yeah 2009 you had a, a part in oh yeah no yeah he uh he had me and tried to find something for me and ended up doing just the clown part or whatever which was a blast <laughs> had fun i got the whole entire cast and hang out with everybody and uh it was a great show to shoot it was kind of sad to see it go off the air actually yeah it's a shame that was great um but then you also had a um, associate um producer role on the tekken film um which yes. that's a, that's another guilty pleasure for me and and my friends who like anything even remotely martial arts even if it's a computer game. Um, so how did you get involved with the second movie? Well, Dwight actually invited me to come work with him, mm-hmm. so I did. I was like, you "Need an assistant director? I need a gig." <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I went and worked with him on that. We went through gosh, like six or seven months of prep on that film. Uh, went through every stage of casting, got, uh, shot that film in Shreveport, Louisiana. I went down there, set up an entire production office, uh, and uh, had an incredible crew on that. Crystal Sky Pictures yeah. made that film. Um, John Fu was the lead in it, who's great. Um, he's an incredible martial artist. Mm-hmm, yeah. Super nice man. Um, he plays Jay. Gary Daniel was in it. Yeah. Yeah, he totally does. Uh, yeah, we had, we had a great cast. We had like all these like classic action stars in it, and Terry Kitalo was in it. Uh, Ian Anthony Dale. It was like a great cast. It was a lot of fun to make that film. I think where you know, I think what affected the box office. I was the film was actually one of the first, or something to do with being one of like the worst leaks ever for like a YouTube. Somebody really? dumped the film. Okay. Yeah, and over like over one weekend, like they dumped the film in like four parts, and it got like forty or fifty million views. And it wow. was like, I mean, it was the most popular yeah, game of the, of its time. Heavily, like, immediately. Yeah, you know, 
it was a very popular game. It was one of the most popular games of its time. I remember being in arcades playing playing Tekken um, and having to uh, basically fight people off um, and have literal fights to try and get to the machine. So, um, oh yeah, that was a really popular game. I loved playing it as a kid. I think it was on. I think I had a PS One or PS Two. Yeah. It was it was a blast. I love that game. It was like you know, if you wanted to play Mortal Kombat or if you wanted to play Street Fighter, those were all fun. But like Tekken was like you had to kind of like know what you were doing. You couldn't just like yeah. mash button. Went, you know, <laughs> you had to really do some work. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was great. So, what, was you involved at all with um, the development of um, like the script for it, or like how did how did it kind of come apart? How do you convert a computer game into a in, into a into a film? A viable movie. As far as I know about that film, um, they had a deal with a company called Crystal Sky for, through Namco to develop that. So they had been working on that for a long time. And um, I believe the script was written by Alan, Alan McElroy. And um, there was a long development period on that script. And then, uh, yeah, like six or seven months of prep. And then took almost, I think, three months to film it. We shot it in Shreveport. Uh, but ha- how to take like a video game and turn it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if anybody really knows the formula on that. Um, I know that there's a lot of popular titles, you know, like people have been, I think want to make movies out of the halo titles Yeah. as well as uh, I always thought it'd be cool to see a, uh, I really love, um, uh, what the hell is a game called fallout new Vegas and, uh, yeah. the, all the previous titles. I always loved those games, you know, like the Bethesda games yeah. and stuff. I always wanted to see those in like a movie because they kind of feel like a movie to me. I'm sure Spielberg will have some kind of thing. Someone like Spielberg or Robert <laughs> Zemeckis, see, that one of those guys will kind of do something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess Tekken was one of the kind of, besides Street Fighter, it was one of the first kind of big, uh, big computer game conversions. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I haven't seen it for a while, but I think I'll revisit it now. Now we've uh, discussed it, um, and then it brings me on to uh, something you've done um, more recently. It came out last year um, in, in, the, in the festival runs. Anyway, it was high and outside a baseball noir. Now I know nothing about baseball whatsoever, um, but I have heard very good things about this film. Um, I know it came over to to London to to the Rain Dance Film Festival last year, but. Um, T- tell me about that film and how you became involved. That's it. Yeah, thing. Yeah, I really. Behind Outside is a great, great film. Um, directed by uh, Evald Johnson, stars uh, Phil Donlan, David Yao, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, the late great Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis, I believe, is his last film. Um, I, uh, um, Ernie Hudson's in the film. Um, the legend Ernie Hudson. It's a. Yes. Yes. Uh, gotta love Ernie, man. He's a, he's a tremendous guy. Great actor too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you, I get that you, you know, cause you're, you're British, right? So yes, I am. <laughs> baseball kind of grow with it. And yeah, I don't, I wasn't totally obvious. I wasn't totally sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. So it's, yes, it's like, you know, it's a very American Americana, as you will kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film itself is, is in lives in the baseball world, but is not necessarily about baseball itself. And it's it's kind of it, it's new war in the sense that nobody wants nobody gets what they want in the what they want in the end. It's kind of the anti-hero story, and um, it's, it was fun to make the movie. And Phil Donlan, you know, prepped for that film for you know a long. Like, he lived as that guy for a few years, and they shot it very independently. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the truest uh, sense of independent, you know. 
um, everything was rent, you know borrowed or rented for a day or, or you know scrounged and this and that. They, I mean, they really struggled to make that film, and they would already been, they'd already been making that movie for almost a year and a half, maybe two years, like on weekends when I came into the picture as wow. this minor character who plays a friend to the lead. Um, and uh, so when I got involved in it, they were like, well, we, we would love to, you know, get you a part of this thing, but it's we're, we're super, you know, it's, this is really independent. You know, I was like, okay, I get it. You know, I like the script. I like the story. I wanted to play this character, Johnny. It was very against my typical type. I could play a biker, like a coke drug addict dealer guy and, you know, ride around on motorcycles and, you know, <laughs> like a whole thing. And, uh, it was, you know, I had to grow a beard for it and I grow a real beard for it. And I really, you know, it consumed about a year of my life <laughs> to make. And it's, a, and I, I'm really proud of the film. Evald is a tremendous director. He has a, a, a very, uh, you know, he's got a very honest view, a very honest vision. Mm -hmm. And uh, the film, I think in a lot of ways is, is personal to him. Yeah. Uh, it's reflective of some parts of his of his life. I mean, his father was a major league baseball player, uh, and he grew up kind of in the shadow of his dad. And um, you know, the, the height outside itself is very much a father and son story between Jeff Lewis and, and Phil Donald's characters, and they are sort of in the shadow of each other in a lot of ways. And uh, it's 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 a kind of dark war. I don't know. I'm glad that the you know I'm glad it was it was well received at one thing because I heard it was and, I, and I'm happy that that yeah. it was kind of because it's 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 not a typical baseball movie. It's not fill the dreams. It's not you know it's what happens when the dream doesn't happen. Wow. And that, that you know for some people you know especially being in, under the guise of baseball because you know baseball's American Pie and all mm -hmm. blah blah blah. So if you didn't grow up with baseball, I can totally get why you would like. It. <laughs> but it's not pretty. It's just, and we've had twelve ball players watch it, and you know, I'm I had a story secondhand from from Evald and, and some of the guys that have worked on the film, but they've done screenings with like Roger Clemens and and some big names in baseball, and guys get up, go out of the theater, and go, "That was my life." Like, how did you, how did you get that? And that's because Evald lived, you know, with his father. Yeah. Um. So. So it's an 8.8 .8 currently on um, IMDb. So it's extremely high. And it seems to, it looks like it's coming out on the 1st of September in, in America. Uh, I'm not sure um, the kind of release kind of schedule, but um, it looks to be 1st September in the US at, at least. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'll look out for it. Um, if, if it ends up on the streaming platform, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it you know, have Phil on, and I'd love to talk to him time about it. I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of the film. It was, it was a lot of fun to make it. It looks really cool. Um, what's your What's your experience with? Because um, it seems that you're doing quite a lot of uh, movies that are based on some kind of reality. So you've got High and Outside, um, and um, the other one we discussed uh, was was kind of based on some kind of reality. Do you prefer to work in on more kind of gritty movies or? Do you kind of prefer the movies you made when you were younger, which were more fantasy based? What's your kind of genre that you, you kind of lean towards more? I know, you know, I I really love um, sort of early seventies cinema. You know, kind of that grainy, kind of rougher look. Sort of looking at the darker side of things. Kind of looking at characters that are not necessarily pleasant to look at sometimes, but you know, uh, finding a way to sort of kind of 
bring empathy to. So, so, you know, I don't know. I, I am, and lately it's been like that. Like, and I've been playing a lot of like uh, cops lately. <laughs> <laughs> I did a film uh, in New York over the winter called Ghost in the Graveyard uh, mm-hmm. with Jake Beatty and Kelly Berglund, and I played a, 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 a cop in like a creepy, weird, satanic cult in this small town. Awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Deputy T, you said you're called here. Uh, Deputy T. That's your name in... Uh, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, Royce Johnson is, uh, plays the sheriff in that. I played the deputy to him, and uh, he's a super great guy. He's a tremendous actor. He's on uh, Daredevil on Netflix. Oh, nice. A um, bunch of shows your audience is probably familiar with. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it, lately I've been playing like that. So it goes in stages, I don't know. Like, sometimes, a lot of it's sheriff's getting, like... I, there was another thing where I played a sheriff, and I was, like... Uh, I got possessed and killed or something. <laughs> wave, man. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I'll be like a horror guy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that you typecast now. But your 2018 is 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 jam packed full of movies. There's another one here called uh, The Brawler, where you play some. Oh yeah, uh, Brawler. That is a uh, that's that's a boxing flick actually based on a true story. Which is it's actually funny enough. It is a true story. It's based nice. on a true story. Chuck Wetner. Uh, who was the inspiration for Rocky? Ah, oh, okay. We all know it's yeah, yeah. Sloan. Um, so yeah, Rocky was based on a real guy. The real yeah. guy was the guy named Chuck Webster. He was a kind of a mid-level boxer back in uh, Bayonne, New Jersey, uh, it was like sixties and seventies, and somehow finagled his way into getting a fight against Muhammad Ali, who was the greatest fighter you know mm-hmm. at the time, and some argue of all time. Yeah. He made himself said he was the greatest. But anyway, so yeah, uh, you know, float, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. So he, he got to box, you know, a guy who was way out of his class and he almost beat him. And, and this is the story of the kind of un- underdog kind of, uh, the, the, the audience can root for. And even though we know how it ends, uh, uh obviously right. we're still rooting for, for this guy, the brawler, and and who do you play in it? Are you a um, a cop that gets possessed in this one? No, I was too bad, right? No, I actually play a uh, fortune. Uh, I play a guy named John Olson, mm-hmm. who was uh, a, a prolific, prolific sports memorabilia forger, and uh, yeah. Nate. Oh yeah, he had a, he had a you know I think at the time when he was busted by the FBI he had like a hundred million dollar close to a hundred million dollar fake sportsman ring going the largest uh, bust in FBI in American history I mean this, he was prolific and he, they locked him up for like you know relative to his crime not very long mm-hmm. it, it was it was like eight or nine years or something and then I think he got out because he claimed he had an illness or something. And then I read something in like as recently as 2013, he was back out trying to scam people. <laughs> Sportsman, really? <laughs> like, people just don't change, Ted. They just they just don't change. I mean, that should but be a film in itself. Uh, yeah, so I play this this soldier in the film, and I get busted by the FBI. And uh, what happened was Chuck actually was working with uh, this guy John Olson, mm-hmm. and claimed that he had no idea this guy was full of it and making false you know, memorabilia, but probably knew, but, you know, <laughs> caught a plea because, uh, you know, Webner had a lot of dirt on his hands and he was in trouble for a lot of stuff. Uh, had a lot of rough years with drugs and alcohol and stuff. And so he probably, you know, got some kind of a plea deal. And, and 
subsequently he said, oh, I had no idea the guy was you know, doing fake stuff. And he was like, yeah, you did. You're making money. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, Olsen scammed He scammed the whole world. He, he had, he had claimed he had Babe Ruth and all kinds of stuff and, and sold them for astronomical amounts. And, you know, it was just totally full of it. So I, I played that guy. That's great. When does that come out? When, when's that, that film out? Uh, I believe that's supposed to be out, uh, end of year, early next year is nice. what I'm, what I've heard from the producers. That's nice. Maybe coincide with when Creed 2 comes out, um, which is, actually that's quite soon, isn't it, Creed 2? Um, yeah. To play on the Rocky thing. Um, and there's a couple more you've got um, here as well. You've got um, 818. That's uh, in post-production, it seems. Oh, yeah. There's a, a great little comedy film, kind of a relationship comedy, um, produced by a friend of mine, Chris Garrett. <clears throat> Excuse me. I quit smoking and I I use the vapor now, and uh, (laughs) sometimes it like burns my throat. And you shouldn't smoke, kids. It's bad. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's the tagline's one area code, five stories, one party. Um, You're very. 2018 seems to be your year. You're very prolific um, this year compared compared to the other years. Um, There's another one called Three Solitude, which has just been announced. Um, It seems that you're in. Yeah, that's a, that, I don't, you know, that project's been lingering for a while. I'm not sure what's going to happen with it, but, um, uh, some very, very talented and, and, uh, interesting people that are involved with that one. And I, I really hope it ends up working out because it's a great idea. I can't really say much about it. And then I've got a couple of other scripts that I'm personally developing right now that I'm sort of working on and, um, uh, one's called Kill Billies, the other one's called Big Money. And, uh, so those will be probably in in the next year or two of, one of those nice. so I'll be making announcements but you've heard it here first yeah well because a lot of people listen to this podcast uh, who are filmmakers or who want to get into films what's your advice on if, if you have a script or you have an idea um, what's your advice on, on how to kind of progress that um, move to LA of course well, that's the first, first thing to do well no uh, <laughs> have a rich uncle with a dry cleaning business I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I, I, I would say just work on your scripts. I think it always comes back to the word. It always comes back to the page. Yeah. It always, always, if your story is good, and then, you know, if you have, if you just, if you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you just have to give your perspective on it. And you just, it, it, I would just tell people it's all about the content, it's all about your scripts and making it just something that when you take it into a room to pitch it, there's just no reason for anybody to say no to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good advice. Um, cause I guess the, the content is, is King. Um, so yeah, keep working on it. Um, and I guess that's a really good place to, to leave it. Is, if there's anything, is there anything else you want to kind of say to, uh, the people mostly in the UK, but, um, out there in the world? Um, I guess, no, I guess I don't know. I, I know I have some fans in the UK, which I, I love. Um, I hope to, to come back to the UK at some point. I was there visiting uh, many years ago as a kid. Oh. Uh, I would love to come see it, see it now. And I was almost recently just in France. I would have been there for their their big win with the World Cup. Which yes. uh, sorry, you guys lost to Croatia. I know. I know. It's a shame, but we did better than it we took a couple of days. I'm sure to recover, right? Yeah, <laughs> the country was a bit of a mess um, in that in that whole period where we had a little bit of hope, and it was pulled away from us um, as fast as we we got it. But um, 
yeah, we still did better than we expected, so we can't complain too much. Um, but yes. Yeah, I mean, I think it was what you guys had, had had struggled since like the early 90s to get a team in. So this was like a big deal for the country. Exactly. A huge accomplishment. Exactly. And I kind of, I really wanted the USA to be in the tournament because I feel like we can only really unite the entire world with with this one sport if the USA are, are in it as well. But unfortunately, they didn't qualify. Therefore, it's not truly a world. No, but it is sort of like it's catching on in parts of the country. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like the country's, like you said, football, soccer, the mm-hmm. country's opening up to the idea of it. But it, it's slow going. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday we'll be able to produce a team that's respectable enough to, <laughs> to join the rest of the world, huh? That's great. And uh, actually compete. <laughs> so if you want uh, the uh, listeners to, to, to find you on social networks and, and to find your podcast where, where's the best place to find you online um, if you want to find me on Instagram which everybody seems to like go to Jason underscore James underscore Richter um, it's fairly obvious to tell which one is the real me yeah. I don't have a little blue mark but I'm working on that I'm not as cool as some people and then <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter I don't really promote much it's just a lot of promotion stuff there you can go if you'd like uh, at Jason Richter underscore to my Twitter yeah. and um, if you want to check out my podcast please go to brigaderadio1.org slash show slash the Richter scale if you happen to listen to an episode and enjoy it please tweet me or Instagram me and let me know what you think. And if you don't like it, just try to be nice about it. But you know, we're, we're cool with criticism too. So I'm sure you've got a lot of, of, of the internet fans, is such a nasty place. You know what I mean? People are so mean online. I'm, I'm so scared mean. of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really scared. I've kind of stopped going on Instagram very much now because it's, it's just noise to me now. It's just so much, so many people, putting up fake pictures of their lives. I'm having that experience right now with Twitter. I just feel like yeah. it's so political and it's so like everybody's just, just, you know, everybody's looking to attack and just, I'm just like, I just, well, yeah. I just, if you want to know what I'm up to, here's where I'm going to be, um, you know, blah, blah, blah for the event. But other than that, I don't know. You know so. <laughs> okay, guys, so you heard, so be, be nice to Jason when you when you reach out to him online. I'm sure they will. Um, and Jason, I'm going to end it there. No, now, UK but... fans have always been really great to me. No, I mean that sincerely. UK yeah. fan, fans have always been, I, I really can't complain. I had great fans. So oh, if there's yeah. anybody out there, I appreciate it. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> oh, I was just saying, um, thanks very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, even though I'll stop the podcast, I've got one more question that I'll speak to you off air about I want, I want some more details on, on uh, Never End Story 3 but we'll do that off podcast so I won't bore the people who are listening um, <laughs> but uh, thanks very much for coming on really really an honour to speak to you and to, to record your thoughts on uh, uh, all of this and uh, your experience in the film world thank you so much and I truly appreciate you having me on I'll be happy to come back anytime great thanks very much Jason bye bye <laughs>